We're going to take a break from our series in Joshua this morning to focus our attention on the season, which is thanksgiving, thankfulness, gratitude, considering a a grateful heart. But as we kind of begin this morning, I just want to remind you that this morning, God orchestrated it that you would be here this morning. And so, in pondering that thought, ask yourself this morning, Lord, why did you bring me here this morning? What is it that you would like to speak to me about? We have a tendency, myself included, when we hear something or are encouraged in something, we many times think of somebody who needs to hear that. And that's okay at times. There are times where somebody maybe needs to be encouraged, needs to be uplifted, and we could be that instrument that God uses to touch someone's life of encouragement on His behalf, to share an encouraging word or to pray with somebody whose heart is breaking or sad. But there's also times where God just wants to reach into our hearts and get a hold of our hearts and change our hearts or our attitudes or our thinking. And so this morning, consider this morning, what is it that God has for you this morning? I've had to consider that as I've prepared this morning, so I've had to do the same task. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning and as we focus our attention This morning on thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude, a heart of joy, a heart of thanksgiving and praise. Uh, Lord, just remind us of what is the most important thing that we need to know this morning. May your word reach into our hearts, reach into our minds this morning, challenge us, Holy Spirit, in the things that we need to know, we need to hear and the things that we may need to change or surrender to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read a number of scriptures. I will not give you the passage, but before I do so, just a reminder, uh, boys and girls, if you like, there are some worksheets out at the Welcome Center that you're welcome to to use, a worksheet, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks if you would like to try to follow along as well. So you're welcome to do that. Sam's at the back, and he'll help you get some sheets if you would like. Adults, there's sheets there, so if you would like one as well, and that really helps your attention, you're welcome to do that as well. I won't give you the passage, but I'll read through a number of scriptures, uh, because remember, it's the Word of God which we stand upon, and I think it says a lot about thanksgiving. It says a lot about thanks and giving thanks. So give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I will give to the Lord the thanks due His righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every good And perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High. And let the peace of Christ, 
rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? They are new every morning, great is his faithfulness. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. First of all, then, I urge with supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. For everything created by God is good, and nothing to be, is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And will give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. So we're focusing our attention this morning on thanksgiving, a grateful heart. According to the Webster's Dictionary, thanksgiving is the act of giving thanks. It is also... Uh, listed there as a public acknowledgement of divine goodness and mercy. But I like Jerry Bridges. I know we have a number of books of, of, from Jerry Bridges in our library. I believe this one will be in our library. Not this copy, this is mine. You can't have that one. But there will be a copy of that, The Practice of Godliness. And in there, there's a section on thanksgiving. And he says, thankfulness to God is a recognition that God in His love and faithfulness has provided for us and cared for us, both physically and spiritually. It is a recognition that we are totally dependent upon Him and that we are all and we, and all we have come from God. So there are a few points I'd just like to draw your attention to this morning when we look at thankfulness. Number one, we honor God when we are thankful. We bring honor, we bring praise, we bring recognition to God for who He is when we give thanks to God. Giving thanks to God for who He is and for what God has done gives praise to Him. It recognizes that God is God and it places God in His rightful place. The place that He deserves So in doing so, when we give thanks, we are actually honoring God and we're bringing glory to who He is. We're bringing glory to God. Number two is kind of the flip and the opposite is failure to be thankful is sin. 
is a sin in our lives. If you check Romans chapter 1 in the Scriptures, it's a tragic account of man's downfall and failure to give thanks to God. Romans chapter 1 outlines kind of the results of what takes place when failure to give thanks to God occurs. And God, when we, give, when we are failure to give thanks to Him, the resulting is a hardening of the heart and a darkening of the heart, it says in Romans chapter 1. So when we are thankful and when we glorify God, we acknowledge His majesty. We exalt His name over all other names. We give Him glory. And it's, an, it's something that we need to do because we're ever so much in an increasing wicked and immoral country and world. Right? So the result of mankind's pride and their failure to give glory to God is that God gave them over to those things. He gave them over to their wickedness and immorality. Number three, we need to cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Thankfulness takes work. I don't know if you've recognized this in your life or in your uh, family life or work life or media watching life, but we are drawn to the negative. We kind of lean towards that in our lives. We can from time to time be fault-finding individuals, critical at times, skeptical of all that come This comes pretty easily and pretty naturally to us. So when I was working at Canada Post, we spent the first couple of hours in the morning and we would sort our mail. We'd organize our packages and parcels. Uh, We had our kind of little station there, but we were working alongside others who who were doing the same. We'd be loading up our vehicles and getting ready to head off to our routes in the morning. And uh, as I did so, came very quickly that I noticed that there was a tendency for coworkers uh, in the mornings especially to be critical in spirit. Imagine that. Eh? And find fault in processes or management or the volume of flyers. Do you get flyers in your mailbox? Right? And so these things can add up and become challenges to us. And we can be drawn to the negative and the critical. Right? And so what I um, was convicted of by the Holy Spirit early on as I was working there and through God's Word is that I needed to approach each morning with joy for the day. For joy, even though the work didn't seem to be joyful, but to approach it with joy. Right? To approach it with thankfulness in the words and then the, th- the deeds that I did, to try to be an encouragement. And I found not always, but often, that my thankful spirit also became contagious to those around me or helped encourage someone else. So maybe this is something that God will impress upon you, whether it's at your home, in your neighborhood, in your little community, in work, right? Or even in our church life. God wants to use you to change the atmosphere to one of joy, gratitude, and encouragement. So cultivate, because it takes work. 
we have to really work at cultivating a spirit of thankfulness that permeates through your entire life. Now a disclaimer on that. This isn't something that is generated cultivating a spirit of thankfulness. It's not generated by listening to someone with nice hair, bright white teeth that has positive words to motivate you. That's not where we, we get the depths of cultivating a spirit of thankfulness. I'm talking about a heart change that happens. And how does it happen? As a result of God's Word in our lives and His work in our lives through His Spirit. That's really the only way to get to the heart of the issue, the root of the problem that we have. Right? And the tendency to be critical at times or negative or fault-finding, it is a heart change that God needs to do in us. And there's times where we need to, to you know, humble ourselves before the Lord, recognize that, well, I'm having an issue here and I need You, Lord, to change my thinking, change my heart. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, 11 to 19 is the story we'll just focus our attention on for a few moments as we continue on this morning. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So uh, 17, 11 to 19. Verse 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is one of the clearest passages of Scripture on thankfulness. There are many, but this one stands out among the rest. There's ten men. They're standing at a distance. You can just picture the scene They're standing at a distance because they're outcasts from society. They're outcasts from society because they have an infectious disease. Some of the most painful and pitiful situation of all human suffering through leprosy. They would be suffering painful sores, probably emotional scars that they were carrying with them as they would need to be away from family and friends. This is society at large. And their suffering is without relief. Right? We have had suffering in our lives possibly. And if you've experienced suffering without relief, you would identify with what these men are going through. Leprosy was horrible. It was painful. It was disgraceful as a disease. These ten men here cry out to God, to Jesus for mercy. Jesus has already raised Lazarus from the dead. He has completed His Galilean ministry up in the north. And Jesus was en route now to Calvary. He's heading to Jerusalem. 
somewhere between Galilee and Samaria as he begins his journey here towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, towards his final destination of the will of God as he will sacrifice and give his life for us. He's en route somewhere in between. Here is where Jesus meets these ten men with leprosy. These men are desperate. Right? They're in a desperate situation. And if you've been in that pain or that suffering or that situation where it's, just, it's desperate and you're, you're crying out for mercy, this is what's happening here. They are crying out. They're desperate for relief. In addition, their cry is also a cry of recognition, however, to the superior power of Jesus, of the one who is approaching. Jesus' power and His compassion are well known by this time. So Jesus would have heard their cry for mercy. Right? They, I love Luke here. They cry out for mercy. But what does Luke record next? In verse 14, they cry out for mercy, but when He saw them, cried out for mercy, I'm sure He heard them, but when He saw them, those words are important words. Right? Their cry is a cry of recognition, but Jesus here sees them. It's in the Greek, it has the idea of seeing them. That's the, that would, how you would render it. Seeing them. See, Jesus saw them. Most likely when no other eyes could have seen them or looked upon them. Why? Because to most eyes of most people, these people were unattractive, even repulsive possibly in their appearance. But the eyes of Jesus to Him, right, His compassion and His mercy, these people were objects of His love and His deep compassion of His tender heart. So, as I was wrestling through this, I really felt that it's important for some maybe here this morning to recognize when we feel like no one sees us, maybe no one understands, no one knows exactly what we're wrestling with, Jesus sees us. He sees us in our need. He sees us where we're at. He did not over. Step these. He saw them. Jesus didn't stand off at a distance. He didn't avoid them because uh, of their condition, of what they had, which most would avoid. He didn't adjust his travel route to get away from them or get out of their way. Jesus was close enough to see them. And I'm sure Jesus probably looked them in their eye to give that recognition that He saw them. It is important to know that Jesus sees them in their need. And Jesus will heal them of their infectious, outcast, body-suffering, emotional-suffering disease. He sees them, but He also will heal them. Right? Verse 14, Jesus instructs them, Go. While still in their condition... They need to step out in faith. Believe and trust in the Word that Jesus gives to them. Jesus could have healed them instantly. He had done that. 
Right? This was not new. He could have healed them instantly as he had done with some. Jesus could have come alongside and touched them like he had done for some. But Jesus gives them instructions. And the instructions are this. Go and show. Go and show. And as they were going, they step out in faith. They listen to what Jesus says. Scripture tells us that they were made clean. They were made clean is the word here used. Life application Bible says, because leprosy was contagious, people who had leprosy were required to try to stay away from other people and to announce their presence if somebody was coming near. Sometimes leprosy would go into remission. And if a leper thought his leprosy had gone away, he was supposed to present himself to a priest who could declare him clean. That's Leviticus 14, 13 and 14. If you read through Leviticus 13 and 14, it highlights the ways in which the priests were to deal with leprosy. As I read through chapter 14, there's a word that kept coming out time and time again as the, uh, in relation to the laws of somebody being or feeling that they'd been healed from leprosy. And the word kept coming up, cleansed, not healed. Cleansed. And I wondered, well, why would they use the word cleansed instead of healed? Because the picture of leprosy is the picture of sin. And what Jesus does is He doesn't just heal, He cleanses us from our sins. And that's the picture that's here. Jesus sent these ten lepers, it says in the application Bible, to the priests before they were healed. And they went. They responded in faith. And Jesus healed them on the way. Is your trust in God so strong that you would be able to act on what He says even before there's any sign of evidence of His work? These men had to, had to step out in faith and say, okay, I trust what God says. Here's what He says. I'm going to do this, but I, I have no evidence yet that I'm going to be made whole. That He's going to do what He said he's going to do. Are, are you willing to do that with what God says? Are you willing to step out and trust the Word of God for our lives when it talks about this or this or this that I'm required to do, He wants me to do to honor Him? Are you willing to step out in faith even though you may not see at the time the evidence of that, but you'll trust the Lord? In this story, we see Jesus' divine goodness. We see His tenderness, His compassion, and His mercy His power. He's able to reverse a disease feared by the ancient world. No cure for it. And note that when Jesus healed and made whole, it occurred instantly. It says here that they were instantly healed and completely healed. When Jesus heals, cleanses us, He does it completely and instantly here in this case. What a dramatic scene it must have been. You see the stigma of leprosy, right, is there. It's so readily seen on their face and in their hands. Leprosy would have been identified very quickly. And if you picture this scene, there's ten men who chose to listen to Jesus. They're going, and on their word they're going, all of a sudden, hey Bob, 
Like they would recognize all of a sudden a change that took place visually. They would have been amazed at the, the, the fact that now I can see clear complexions, fully restored arms and legs and hands or whatever might have been the case in this case. This surely stirred amazement in the tent, I'm sure. Yet, sadly, only one was stirred with gratitude. Only one. Arnold Fruchenbaum has an interesting note saying that the priests kept close records of those who were declared lepers in the Jewish society. And they taught that only the Messiah could be a healer. In his article, Three Messianic Miracles, he writes this, Sometime prior to the coming of Yeshua, Jesus, the ancient rabbis separated miracles into two categories. First, there were those miracles anyone would be able to perform if they were empowered by the Spirit of God to do so. The second category of miracles were called Messianic Miracles, which were miracles only the Messiah would be able to perform. Yeshua did miracles in both categories. Right? Both of those categories. General miracles, also messianic miracles. So because of the rabbinic teaching that certain miracles were to be reserved only for the Messiah right, to do, whenever He performed a messianic miracle, it created a different type of reaction than when He performed other types of miracles. The first messianic miracle was the healing of a leper. From the time the Mosaic Law was completed, there was no record of any Jew. Right? So there's no record of any Jew. There's other records, but not of a Jew, who was healed completely of leprosy. While Miriam was healed of leprosy, this was before the completion of the law. Naaman was healed of leprosy, but he was a Syrian Gentile, not a Jew. From the time of the Mosaic Law was completed, there was never a case of any Jew being healed of leprosy. Leprosy was, was the one disease that was left out of the rabbinic cures. There was no cure for leprosy whatsoever. Yet Leviticus 13-14 to gave the Levitical priests detailed instructions as to what they were to do in the case of a healing of a leper. So even though there had never been a case, Leviticus was very clear in the law, this is how you deal with it if there was a case of healing. And on that day, the leper approached the priesthood and said, I was a leper, but now I have been healed. The priesthood was to give an initial offering of two birds, and then seven days later, they were going to investigate intensively the situation to determine three things. First, was this person really a leper? Second, if he was a leper, was he really cured of leprosy? And third, if he was truly cured of leprosy, what were the circumstances of the healing? And after the seven days of investigation, they would firmly be convinced, if they were, that this man had been healed as a leper, he had been healed of leprosy, and the circumstances were proper. Then, on the eighth day, they were to uh, be a lengthy series of offerings. And altogether, there were four different offerings. There was a transgression offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a meal offering. Then came the application of the blood of the trespass offering upon the healed leper, followed by the application of the blood sin offering upon the healer, 
healed a leper. Then the ceremony would then end with the anointing of oil and they would be healed, uh, considered healed. Although the priesthood had all of these detailed instructions as to how they would respond in the case of a healed leper, they never had the opportunity to put these instructions into effect. Because from the time of the Mosaic Law was given, no Jew had ever been healed. And as a result, it was taught by the rabbis that only the Messiah would be able to heal a Jew with leprosy. So you, here's Yeshua. Here's Jesus. <laughs> I'm just imagining the case. He sends ten lepers directly to the very priesthood that if you know this leading up to this Scripture in uh, Sunday school class, they're going through the book of Luke. And as it's leading up to this, under the leadership of Caiaphas, right, they, they had set out a decree, a sentence of death upon Jesus. This meant instead of one messianic miracle, there were now ten messianic miracles performed. The first messianic miracle was performed ten times over. Ten times over, Caiaphas and the priesthood had to spend seven days investigating the whole situation. Ten times over, they had to decree that all ten of these lepers had been cleansed and healed of their leprosy. Ten times over, they had to decree that Jesus... They had to make a decree ten times over that Jesus had performed the miracle. It is really showing, in a sense, some humor in this story. As he chose to send to the leadership who had just now decreed his rejection and sentenced him to death, that they had to make a claim that the Messiahship was true. Mark 1, 40-45, earlier on in his ministry, Jesus heals a leper. Jesus is approached by a man with leprosy. Jesus is moved here again with compassion. This is where Jesus touches the man with leprosy. The man with leprosy is instantly healed. Jesus instructs the man to tell no one. Don't tell anyone. It's not my time yet. But the man tells everyone. And Jesus is no longer able to stick around in that city. Uh, it is the news spread. And here we have a miracle of, again, His Messiahship. Number one, as the man would have gone to the priest to declare his cleansing. Back to Luke 10, uh, Luke 17. Ten, in, ten are instantly, completely healed. Remember these words being, are being written by Luke. Dr. Luke, a physician. And so I'm sure he highlights this very specifically that they are healed and they're healed completely. But all of a sudden, the light switch goes on. One realizes what truly has happened here. He realizes, I think, that his spiritual condition, in addition to his physical healing condition, have taken place. And instead of continuing to rush off to verify and declare his being cleansed and get that affirmation from the priests, he returns he, he doesn't continue. He returns. He turns around. He returns to Jesus. I think the picture is very symbolic. As the leper understands what's taken place, he turns to return to Jesus is very much a picture of repentance and what repentance conveys. When we talk about trusting Jesus, we're talking about repentance. We're, we're repenting of 
our way away from the Lord. We all have gone our way. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And yet, repentance is a turning to Jesus. It's a recognizing of of my condition and turning to Jesus. And that's kind of a picture we see here as they return to Jesus. And notice, he's praising God in a loud voice. I mean, he's, he's praising the Lord. And probably from a distance as he turns and he's heading back there and he's just, he's excited. He's praising the Lord. And when Jesus changes the heart, we are filled with gratitude, praise, joy, and gladness that just bursts out. Do you recall someone who's just found Jesus and Jesus just found them and reached out and grabbed into their life and, and brought them to Himself? The joy that has taken place. Do you remember that when that happened to you? Jesus called your name and you responded in faith and, and Jesus changed your life and the joy. That's what happens when Jesus changes a heart. Secondly, when we are changed of heart by the Savior, we recognize our position before Him. He's returning. He's praising. When He gets there, what does He do? Like many others, John and Revelation and others, He gets down on His face at the feet of Jesus to give Him thanks. So when we talk about cultivating a heart of gratitude that just permeates our entire lives, we are simply speaking of Returning to the feet of Jesus in recognition of heart transformation that He has done in our lives. If nothing else, that should just cause us to give praise to Him when we remember what He has done in our hearts and in our lives. But then we find Jesus answers this man. You know, He questions. I think he's questioning to make a point because Jesus is well aware that there were ten. Were there not ten? Well, Jesus is well aware there were ten. right? Jesus is well aware that nine did not return. And he even points out that the only one who returns is not even a full Jew. He's a, he's a Samaritan. He says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The English translation here, made well, misses the critical truth of this section. Why? Because all ten were healed physically. Right? But only one was made well spiritually. In Luke 17.15, the verb used in this context is speaking of the healing physically. But in verse 19, the verb sozo, which clearly speaks of spiritual healing, is used. In short, the Samaritan has been saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's interesting that most of the modern versions, while translating made you well, will also have a marginal note in them saying that has saved you. Admittedly, there are some contexts right, that this doesn't fit salvation, but here it's clear that Luke is describing salvation. It's also notable that sozo is in the perfect tense, which means it signifies an action in the past with a continuing and abiding effect. It happened, but the effects of it continue and move forward. John MacArthur says on your faith, 
You see in this man trust and gratitude and humility and contentment and love and praise and worship. These are all components of a faith that's, uh, that's way beyond the other nine. It's a faith that embraces Jesus as God and as Lord. It's a faith that bows humbly in recognition of one's lowliness in His presence. It's a faith that Jesus says saves. So friends, sinners as we are, saved by grace, who have experienced the mercy of God in Christ Jesus in our lives, who have been forgiven of the disease of sin, being made righteous through Christ's blood and His sacrifice, we need to overflow with thanksgiving. Catch that. I I, want to say that word very specifically. Overflow with thanksgiving. We sinners saved by grace should be the most thankful people ever. So if you're struggling this morning with a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, come to Jesus. Ask Him to change your heart. Ask Him to change your heart. Change my heart, O God. Make it a heart that overflows with the gratitude and thankfulness of what You've done for me. A heart that sees what you, Jesus, are doing in my family, in my neighborhood, in my church, in my fellow believers. Help me see what you're doing in their lives. Take away my critical heart attitude. Or remove my ungrateful attitude. Replace my negative fault-finding attitude. And give me a heart that overflows with praise and thankfulness, joy and gratitude. And as Jerry Bridges says, thanksgiving is a normal result of a vital union with Christ and a direct measure of the extent to which we are experiencing the reality of that union in our daily lives. So give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Heavenly Father, may our hearts just pound and resound with thankfulness because You, in Your compassion and Your love and Your grace and mercy, have reached into our hearts. If by faith we have trusted You and recognized our need for salvation and repented and turned to You, Lord, You have changed our hearts. You have cleansed us from the disease of sin and the effects of it as far as our eternal destination. And Lord, You've given us Your righteousness in our lives. The righteousness of Christ. And so Lord, may that cause us to just be thankful people because of what You've done for us. But may You also just continue to work on us. Lord, we have a tendency to to be uh, drawn to be critical and ungrateful at times. Focus just solely on ourselves or our situation. But may we, Lord, come before You humbly asking You to change that heart into a heart that is thankful. A heart filled with joy. And that only can come as You infuse it into our lives through the working of Your Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.